You're listening to NCG Top 100s, a National Club Golfer podcast. Hello everyone, welcome once again to the NCG Top 100s podcast. In each episode, we try and take you into a virtual clubhouse and get the inside stories about the courses that feature in the ranking lists you can peruse on our website at nationalclubgolfer.com. I'm joined, as always, by the man who is ultimately responsible for putting these lists together, NCG Top 100s chairman Dan Murphy. Welcome, Dan. Hello, Steve. Great to be with you again. And today we're in the south of England for a classic Heathland course, Bernard Darwin famously described as the Glen Eagles of the South. It was opened in 1898, but it was the visits of Harry Colt, the first of which was in 1914, that transformed the fortunes of this Dorset layout and is why it sits comfortably in our top 100 England list. Its holes range from the picturesque to the dramatic and a complete course rebunkering, reverting back to traditional course stylings, aims to be completed ahead of the club's 125th anniversary in 2023 and the arrival of the English Amateur Championship. We are, of course, talking about Broadstone and we're delighted to be joined today by the club's general manager, Ed Richardson. Welcome, Ed. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, nice to be on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to see you and great to speak to you. Um, just give us a sense, if you could, Ed, of how the last few months have been for Broadstone, obviously unprecedented times and an unprecedented pandemic. How are you coming through? Yeah, we're doing well, thanks, Steve. It's got very busy all of a sudden. We always knew it would. We knew it would be a, a quiet few, quieter a few months before the calm before the storm, as they say. Uh, but yeah, it's been it's been good. We've had a uh, the members have been really supportive, really understanding, and. Uh, yeah, we, it's given us a great chance to keep, you know, keep all our green staff out there working, get on with a lot of the winter projects without the uh, golfers being in the way, as it were. Um, but uh, no, it's been it's been fine. It's been good. It's been good. And you've been in the helm now for around six years, I think. And there's been plenty going on, isn't there, in your time? Yeah, lots going on. If you, you know, the old expression of if you're standing still, you're going backwards. So there's always been things going on. And uh, what's been great is the last year 18 months we've been to push forward on a number of projects we've been keen to do both on and off the golf course and uh yeah keep the place moving forwards okay well let's um get stuck into some um some, some course chart and uh, uh Ed, if you can just give us some um um some i guess some historical uh, perspective so uh, the course was originally the work of tom dunn and then harry colt came along uh, in 1914 um so are we to consider that the course is uh, a tom dunn piece of work or a harry colt piece of work or is it just a, an even mix of the two? Uh, it's an interesting debate. And uh, a, my chairman has done a lot of work on the history of the club and um, he's very keen for Mr. Dunn to get the credit he deserves and not just see it as a, as a cult classic, as it were. Um, but it, it is a combination of the two. It, it, it's mostly cult, if I'm being honest. The, the way the course is laid out, the first couple of holes, so the first four holes, are pretty much as Dunn laid them out. Um, but the course then used to travel out into some fairly sort of open parkland uh, and then return back and play the, the 17th and 18th, as they now are, um, as the last couple of holes. Um, so the first four and the last couple are still very much as Dunn designed them originally. I'm sure, you know, both Colt in the, uh, as you say, after 1914 and some other people have, have slightly tweaked those over a period of time. Um, but they're pretty much as Dunn laid them out. 
when Harry Colt came along in 1914, he changed, he completely changed the layout of the course from the, from the fourth hole onwards, where it then did a loop back round and out into much more open heathland through some valleys and, and all the rest of it. So it's very much Colt's work from the fifth round to the 16th. Um, that's completely him. That's 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 been, but what and it's pretty much again as he laid it out. We built a new ninth green back in the 90s, but apart from that, it's pretty much how he laid it out. So it's it's definitely much more cult than it is done. But Dunn deserves credit for those early holes and the and the last couple. Okay, and and, and just for, for for those who are unfamiliar with the um, the course, I mean, Steve described Broadstone as a heathland, um, which I. I guess it's true to to at least some extent, but I I think that for those who haven't been, the 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 thing that immediately catches the eye about Broadstone is the variety of holes and the variety of terrain that the the course is played over. Could you could you just describe in your words how you would classify the course and just explain the journey the golfer goes on? You know, from from the low holes at the beginning up to the top and back down again. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, you know, every place likes to think itself as special, but it is quite unique in terms of you know you get a lot of the Surrey Heathland Belt courses, which are very sandy subsoils. Um, very, you know, you can almost tell one from another, all very, very similar in terms of the style, the type of heather and gorse you get and that type of thing. Whereas Broadstone is in this unique sort of Dorset, wet, slightly wetter heathland, for a better word. And um, the site is now very well drained and was, and was very well drained when it was built and, and continues to be. But it's a, it's a slightly more peaty subsoil. It's a slightly different sort of soil. And it very much starts in that slightly, say, slightly lower section. And the first couple of holes are a little bit more parkland in terms of their feel, although there's heather down, you know, either side of it. So um, you then sort of climb, you climb up the second, back down the third over a, a pond in front of the third green. And then as you climb the fourth, you very much then go out into open heathland. Um, but like I said, that slightly different style of heathland that you've got. And then you just go on a great run of holes from, you know, especially around sort of five, six, seven, um, and then through out onto the back nine, which is, you know, the back nine is very much built through, um, through a couple of valleys and then up onto the top of the hill. And then you climb around the 13th and 14th with some stunning views across all of Dorset and um, some of the best holes that are out there. And um, and then you gradually meander way back down uh, through 15, 16, and then 17 comes down the hill and 18 comes back into that slightly more parkland section um, and back down towards the clubhouse. And uh, it's, it's yeah, it is quite unique. And just, just mainly because of the, of the style of the heather you've got, the gorse and the wetlands and some of the things that that brings in. Um, but obviously a site that's been massively well drained in order you get great conditions all year round. So. Uh, it is quite a unique challenge in it, but it's and it is almost partly because of the layout and partly because of the surroundings and the view. It's almost a bit of a roller coaster. You know, if you take the seventh, which is you know quite iconic for our, um, it's one of the holes that people tend to remember. Um, it is very much a roller coaster. You're going up and down and up through some um, oats, a valley for your tee shot, a valley for your um, like a layup if you're not going for the green with your second shot, and then back up to a raised green. So it is very much a sort of roller coaster ride around some you know classic Dorset Heathland basically. So yeah, that's a, a brilliant description. I think that the the use of the word roller coaster it really sums up um, Broadstone very well because of a surprise around every corner, isn't there? Um, which is, is one of the most entertaining courses you could find. It is, I think the only, I mean, yes, I mean, the seventh, it is a roller coaster without, uh, and there is no surprises, but without, you know, without any of it being too tricked up. I mean, the seventh is the only one that you would sort of describe with having a blind tee shot or a blind, you know, any blind shots. Everything apart from that is sort of in front of you. But um, in terms of those climbs and the rolls around and going through the valleys, um, it does have that roller coaster feel. You're absolutely right. 
And so you, you've you've brought up the seventh there, which I, I think is the hole that most visitors um, have the strongest. Uh, you know, if you played Broadstone once, it's the hole that you remember. Mm. Can you, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have played Broadstone on three or four occasions, and I'm not sure I'm any the wiser on to the, the best way of playing it. Can you just explain the choices that that, that hole gives you? And I, I can see from your face that there, there, there are a few different theories on it, right? There is, and it also plays, you know, like any classic golf course, it, it also plays different depending on wind direction and time of the year and the condition, the under, underfoot conditions you find yourself. Um, and it is very much a Marmite hole. I mean, you know, you speak to as many people who absolutely love the golf hole and say it's an absolute classic as those who come off it. You know, we've got a halfway up next to our 8T and the number of people who come up to there cursing and swearing and moaning about lost balls and, and you know, having struggled on that hole. But it does play a little bit differently from, from summer to winter. I would say if it's not overly fiery, so the course isn't playing at its sort of heath and fieriest best, um, there's actually... you. You can, the tee shot, a lot of people tend to almost try and hit it too far. It's almost a hole where you want to hit something about 220, 230 off the tee into the widest portion of the fairway. Because, yes, that leaves you a slightly longer second shot of about 190, 200 into the green. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't then climb the next part of the hill. Because as you climb that hill, yes, you get a slightly better view of the green. But what happens is that it's, on, it's, on, it's also on a slope. So the ball can very quickly run off that slope unless you're pinpoint accurate. So my personal way of suggested way of playing the hole is to hit a shot off the tee that goes to 22-30. And that can vary depending on wind direction, um, or obviously how far the ball's running. But into that wider section of fairway, for those who you know want to go and look at it on Google Earth or whatever, you can see that there's a big wide section of fairway before you get to the hill. Um, that is the best place to play your second shot from. Okay, you don't get quite as good a view of the green, but it's flat. You're not risking the ball running away from you. From there, you've then got a... 190 200 yard shot to a raised green um over a valley and over a big cross bunker um which is just a stunning shot to be taking on and obviously if you've you know if you've got the confidence to take it on you can fire it into that green um you can set up a you know a birdie chance on a on a on a very very tough hole it's if you get your tee shot slightly out of play it's then trying not to be too aggressive there's a there's an air, there's a strip of fairway along the bottom of the valley which a lot of people can't see from either from the tee or with your second shot that if you do get out of position lay it up in there play it as a par five. Most people get a shot on that hole. Um, and then from that valley, it's a fairly straightforward pitch up and over the cross bunker, up to the green and take your medicine and take your two putt five and move on. It's when people tend to get a little bit greedy that it tends to cause the problems. Um, they either try and play the tee shot a bit too far or they get the tee shot out of position, then try and chase it over the valley and over the cross bunker and often get it wrong. And the second heather bank can often cause some problems. Then you're trying to play, even if you find the ball, you then play it off a downslope which obviously gets very tricky. So, yeah, it can be an abs- you know, a typical, as they as they would say, a card wrecker hole. Um, but if you play it relatively conservatively, almost like a, a four and a half, a four if you get your tee shot in a good position, maybe take your five if you don't, then you should be okay. And I mean, any hole that you can discuss um, at this length, and you're not, we're not even touching on it. I mean, that's just got to be a great hole in my book. To, to, to me, it's, it's one of those holes you have to remember that it was designed before the concept of par. So it's only when you try and put it in a box of it representing a certain par that you that you get in trouble. But it's a, yeah, it's a, I hope that's wetted. If, if you haven't been to Broughton, I hope that's wetted your appetite. Absolutely. So if we... If we look at the area as a whole, Ed, um, it seems to me that over the last 10 years, and it's been, it's been wonderful to see that the whole region of Dorset has come sort of back into golf in fashion. Now, why on earth it would have gone out of fashion in the first place, I'm not too sure. Um, but the, we have now this group of courses with yourself and, uh, and Ferndown, Parkstone, uh, Remedy Oak, a little bit um, um, further away. And, and they are the most wonderful collection of courses for offering something different 
um, but all very, very high quality. And and uh, it seems to me from the outside, and correct me if I'm wrong, that that you guys have kind of dragged each other up because you've all improved, you've all worked hard, and and what what, what it, the result is that Dorset has become this brilliant destination that at the moment is incredibly popular and, and it's well deserved. Absolutely, and it and it has been that. If I'm honest, I think there's. Um, Certainly Parkstone and Ferndown and, you know, Remedy coming along relatively recently as a relatively new course has certainly dragged the area up and dragged the course forward. And it has been a case of each club taking each other forward. Um, you know, you get that classic combination and us more than the other other two, if I'm honest, of you are a top 100 golf course and a very highly regarded golf course and golf course layout. But you're also a members club and, and, and you've got that thing where sometimes clubs can struggle to know which one they ought to be. Should they be the... The members club and, and, and behave like that or should they behave like the top 100 venue both in terms of the investment levels what you charge for your subs and your green fees and all those things and it's hard to say who sort of kicked it off but certainly Parkstone and Ferndown you know investing in their product like they have done improving their golf course like they have done and making the very best they can of their golf courses has made and Remedy coming along as a venue has made courses like ourselves do the same thing you know if they were if they were stuck still and not spending money not investing it gives us an excuse not to as well, but them doing what they've done has helped us do the same thing. And, um, you know, uh, that thing we talked about earlier of, of, of standing still is going backwards. You know, that's not happening down here. All of us are improving our golf courses. All of us have pushed the place forward and on, on, a, on and off the golf course, to be fair. And um, and what's also great is we all work together. This is not something we, you know, we have a bit of friendly rivalry and friendly banter about which is best and clearly Broadstone is, but... Um, <laughs> They, the uh, as managers and greenkeepers and committees and and clubs, we are working together to promote the area and 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 build up the area and even to the point of working with, you know, clubs on our periphery, Isla Purbeck, Brockenhurst, uh, Rushmore, Stoneham, even on the periphery. You know, working with these clubs to help each other out and promote people coming to the area. But as you say, whether you're looking to come and play lots of the bigger venues or you're looking to play a combination of one or two treat venues and and some and some clubs in the next bracket down, it's a great place to come. Whether you're looking for, whether you're mad keen on your golf and it's all about the golf courses, or whether it's a combination of great golf courses and a night out in Bournemouth and a, you know, a, a few drinks with, with your friends and whatever, it's a great place to come, it really is. And it's got that natural centre of the beach and the town centre of Bournemouth, um, and then those courses on the periphery of that area that you can get within easy reach of 20, 20 30 minutes off that you can come and play. Um, and it is, it is, it's a fantastic place. And we working together, we're just trying to promote that. Yeah, well, I can't disagree with any of that. I think it's a brilliant mm. place to go and visit. So if, if we just think back to where Broadstone has come, uh, did, are your members saying, God, we were always like this. You, did, you know, it's just the wider world didn't know about us quite as much. Or has the course really changed dramatically? And if so, can you just explain to us how the course has developed over the last one, over, over your time and maybe a little bit before? Because as you said, a lot of work's gone on, hasn't it? It has, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it, uh, you know, a lot of credit needs to go to my predecessor, David Morgan, who uh, and the committees he worked with, who started the ball rolling. Um, it, it had sort of a little bit fallen in the trap of being um, a little bit member centric and maybe not uh, looking at what, maybe not updating as much as it could have done over a period of time. Um, and then, as you rightly point out, the work that Ferndown have done and Parkstone have done kickstarted the work here. And we very much try to make sure that we get. The right balance of getting a great playing conditions for people to play on, um, upgrade our irrigation system, spending you know three hundred thousand pounds on doing that, making sure we're giving the really good playing conditions, but also then the bunkering, getting the bunkering right, getting the tees right. You know, we maybe tripped stepped into the habit of rather than looking at the visual aspects that a great bunkering can do to a golf course, 
um, falling the trap of, well, okay, what's easy to maintain? What can we, you know, what's what's commodity easy for our greenkeepers to keep on top of? We very much try to restore that sort of cult look and those visual aspects of the golf course while still able to obviously keep good conditions and, and keep them manageable as well. So basically, my predecessor and, and their committee started the work. They, they did a, quite a bit of work with Frank Pont uh, back in the early 2000, around about 2012-13 time. And he very much sort of set the course on a sort of path of where we were looking to go in terms of the style of bunkering, bringing back that more Harry Colt look to the golf course, um, and also making some strategic um, decisions as well with that bunkering. So they did work on holes at the 5th, the 6th, the eighth and our 14th holes that was back in the uh yeah 2012-13 time um, we had a little bit of a lull through the middle part of, the, of that decade and then over the last few years we started to, you know to push forward with that again um, we've updated the seventh bunkering we've now done 10 and 11. Uh, we've got plans next year to do um three more holes and we'll hopefully have it all finished by as you talked about earlier our 125th anniversary in 2023 that's the the sort of project we put together we called it project 125 of of completing that bunkering work getting all the bunkering in keeping with what with that cult styling um improving the making the visual aspect of the golf course better improving the strategy in a couple of places um and giving people a really consistent wonderful layout you know over the coming years so yeah and often when you when you start doing this work um it then makes you realize how much more potential there that that a site has. I, I wonder where you think Broadstone could get to and, and, and what the, the, the coming years might hold in terms of the, the course's ongoing development. Yeah, I think I think to be honest, that, that's one of the, the joys of my job, if I'm honest, is, is that you know I've been here six years now and we're closer to reaching the goal course of potential, but we're only scratching the surface. You know, mm. we've got many board plans moving forward of you know fair irrigation to help control the conditions on the fairways, um finish off the bunker as we've just described. But also things like new teeing areas and getting the tees in the right places, making sure it's it's suitable for modern golf and modern competition golf as well is important to us. So um, and where we position some of those new back tees and and also forward tees, so that, you know, that make sure we have a range of abilities that we play the golf course. I mean, it's it's you know it's only around about six and a half thousand yards, but it it feels longer when you play it. Um, but being able to stretch that back a little bit over the years after our 20, 125th anniversary is going to be important to us. Um, that installation, that fair irrigation to keep the conditioning moving forward and, yeah, just continue to push it forward. I mean, it, it is tough to try and make sure you manage it for the the big competition we hold, like the English Amateur we've got in 2023 and we had the Caris Trophy here last year. You know, these big events, we, we need to try and stretch the golf course where we are able to. But we've also got a membership to that want to play the golf course and visitors who have, have a range of handicaps and making sure we get uh, all the tees in the right places um in order that everybody can enjoy the golf course is equally as important so is it difficult to realize ambitions like that because i imagine your site is pretty well protected by various agencies yes i mean that i wouldn't say it's difficult i'd say it just comes with another layer of um of red tape for want of a better word um we worked you know the the whole site is a triple si or virtually the whole site is a triple si i should say and we work with natural england to manage that and to be fair to them, though, they're very good. They are very understanding that we've got a golf course to run. Um, and we've we've built up a really good relationship with them where we understand what they're looking for us to do and why they want to manage the site in the way they want to help, why they want it managed um, in order to protect that rare Dorset Heathland and the various reptiles and, and stuff that's very important to them. But they also understand that we have needs to develop the golf course. And, you know, down to things like, you know, they've been very good at agreeing to us. That if we want to go and build a new tee, for example, in a heather area, which means taking some heather out to put, put the tea in. 
Well, we can replace that area header somewhere else. As long as we're replacing what was there size-wise, they've been very, very accommodating with that. So, yes, it has its it has its difficulties, and it's not as easy as um, um, as a site that isn't a triple S site. But it's not impossible. It's just a question of working those through and working with the agencies. I think often if you try and clash heads with somebody, it ends up being more difficult. But they've been very accommodating and very um, very easy to work with. It's just understanding each other's needs half the time is the problem, is the issue. So. And it's the, well, there obviously is an appetite at the club to to host um, high level amateur um, golf. Um, how does that work? Because you clearly, for for many of your members, you 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 you're spending money on perhaps building new tees that have just no relevance to to their golf at all. Um, and, and so it can be sometimes it can be hard to justify these things. It is, and that's why, to be to be honest with you, that's why the, the next couple of years, you know, we're 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 putting the money into the bunkering and the ferry watering to to get the golf course good for everybody who's playing it. You know, mm. the members or the big events. And okay, after then, once those projects, there's a tick in the box in some of those projects, we can move on to some of the the ones that are there, but maybe not there for everybody. So some of the back tees and that type of thing. But I also think what what where we're very um, what helps us in that regard is because of Broadstone's challenge, it may only be six and a half thousand yards, but it is a challenging layout. It is not an easy place to come and play golf. And, you know, that then attracts people who love their competitive golf. You know, and a lot of our membership are low handicap golfers keen on their competitions. So we, we, we wouldn't be putting a tee in that would get used once every three or four years for a big event. It, we would make sure we're building these tees where for our club championships, our big medals, our big cup competitions that the members are playing in, that you get, you know, 130, 140 out on a Saturday playing in, we can use those tees as well. Um, so they wouldn't, they, yeah, we can't go and spend that sort of money and only use them once every three or four years. They, we'd be looking to use them, you know, much more often for our big competitions. Um, but that's where the range of tees is very important that we've, you know, we can use them and then we've got obviously forward tees to be used on a, on a day-to-day basis. Can you just give us an idea about what the, the, the keys are to, to, Playing well at Broadstone. What what parts of your game does it does it particularly uh, test, and what kind of golfer tends to tends to do well around your place? Um, it, it's, it's a classic line to say what tests every facet of your game, but it really does. But I think the the absolute key really is um, is hitting the ball well off the tee. Whilst it's got in in some places it's got that feeling that a lot of great cult, cult golf courses do, where you're not overly hemmed in, and there's that feeling of space mm-hmm. from the tee. There are also very few places where you can miss it by miss it by 20, 30 yards and get away with it. Um, so the the bomber is going to struggle a little bit unless they unless they can keep out that mistake. So if you hit you know if you hit three or four bad tee shots around, you're, you're very unlikely to get away with it in many places. Certainly on the runner holes from five through to through to sixteen, there's very few places you can miss it 20 or 30 yards left or right find your ball and, and walk off with a par. So I think you've got to drive the ball straight. That's the first thing. Um, but also the green complexes, because they're very, again, classic cult green complexes where they're, they're not ridiculously sloping like some McKenzie golf course and that type of thing, but they are, if you miss some greens the wrong side when, we're in, when we've got firm conditions, you're giving yourself very, very tricky up and down. So I think um, somebody who can plot their way around um, is going to find it a lot easier than somebody who tries to bomb it, is one of these ways of describing it. Um, and... Yeah, so that probably a a not so you don't need to be overly long. A Matt Fitzpatrick probably type. I think he finished third here in a Caris Trophy a number of years ago. Um, somebody like that uh, who who's pretty straight off the tee, who can plot the way around the golf course and avoid some of the the places not to miss some of the greens are the ones who tend to do well. Okay. 
And for for I'm sure that anyone listening is now sort of planning their next Dorset trip. Is there is there a particularly good way to do it? You know, an order of playing the courses or a time to hit certain courses. You know, is there is there an order that people go on that gives you the most out of your trip or anything that we need to know to plan our trip better? No, I think to be honest, I think you can have you, whichever sort of trip you want to come and have at any time of the year. You can get great value and have a, and have a great trip. I think. Um, Heathen courses, you know, tend to be possibly slightly better towards the, you know, or sorry, they tend to last longer into the year than people think. So mm. often, you know, if you, you know, if you want to try and plan trips for, you know, into September, October, even into November, you can get some great conditions that time of year. Um, and they tend to, you know, possibly more so than maybe people think in sort of March and April, you know, the Masters kicks off and everything's, everything's going to be amazing. Often it takes a little while to get going after them. But no, you can come at any time of the year and have a great time, I think. And as I was sort of explaining earlier, the, the reason it works well on both levels is, is whichever level of trip you want to come and do, whether you want to come and play three or four of the top four courses, you can come and have a great trip and have a really, really, you know, high grade um, golf course experience from coming and playing all those, th those three or four. Um, and if you either contact us direct or use the tour operator to put yourself a little trip together, you hopefully, as long as you're early enough, you can often find really great availability. And it doesn't matter in which order you play them in, it really doesn't. There's no one that, you know, you want to do this way. But the other great thing about it, and this isn't, you know, Broadstone's great, but so are all the others. If you happen to not be able to get on one of those courses really down here, well, it's not like one is massively stand out from the other. Therefore, mm. you know, if you miss a Remedy Oak or you can't get on Parkstone or you can't get on here, you're going to have a great time at the other places anyway. It's not like, I'm not locking the other areas, but if you go to a, um, if you go to Deal and you don't get to play St George's or you go to, um, you go up to Blackpool and you don't play Lytham or you don't play one of the open venues, you feel like it's a little bit less of a trip. Whereas down here, you can play any two or three of those four and have a great time. And then the other side of trip where people come and maybe treat themselves to a day here or a day at Remedy or Barkson or Ferndown, but then add in some of the other courses. You know, there's some, as I mentioned earlier on, you've got your Isle of Purbeck, your Brock and Urs and, some, and, and your Rushmore's and other places, which are really nice places to go and play as well. So whichever sort of budget you are or whichever type of trip you're trying to come on, you can find a great trip down here, whichever suits you. And just uh, one final question for me, and I, I hope you don't mind me putting you on the spot. So obviously we're mm -hmm. updating our, uh, our England list this year, and I just wonder if you could give us a personal top three in England. And I've, I've only got one rule, which is that you're not allowed to say Broadstone. So just based on where you've played, which are your favourite three courses in England? Oh, blimey. I have, uh, I, I have to say I've not done loads and loads of travelling around the country, so I've not played some of the even some of the top open venues I mentioned before. Um, let me try and work through. Let me go for three. I'll go for three that I've that I've played and know quite a bit of. I love Hankley Common. Hankley Common is a what I, I've always loved playing there. Played open pre cube there back in days, and just a wonderful place to play golf. And similar to here in a way, in terms of that feeling of space and openness, mm. and view, um, which is fantastic. So I love going there. Um, I was lucky enough to play Royal St George's last year and really enjoyed that. Probably that's the first open venue I've played and really enjoyed that. Um, and probably if I was to find one, let's go one that's sort of slightly underrated in my view, um, would, would, would probably be West Sussex, Pulborough. Um, just the green complexes there and the bunkering there is fantastic. And if anybody, it's, again, I hate the word hidden gem, but it is one of those that maybe doesn't get talked about quite as much as some of the Surrey Belt courses, mm -hmm. but it's a lovely, lovely place to play golf. Um, so, yeah, that's just through off the top of my head. I'm going to now upset the ones I haven't picked. And I'm sorry <laughs> to the managers at those places. Um, but no, those three are the ones I particularly enjoy playing in, in, this, in this part of the world. 
I think, I think they're absolutely great answers. And I, and I love asking the question because there, there, there is no right answer in England. There, and there are so many to pick from. And all three you've chosen are absolutely fantastic golf courses, but in very different ways. I'll be very rude. A big honourable mentions to um, Knotts, which I also love. which And then obviously Allwoody. I, got, I was lucky to play Allwoody last year as well, which is great as well. So um, I'll, give, I'll stick those in fourth and fifth, if you let me. Uh, yeah, you're very welcome. You can take those in fourth and fifth as well. Thank you. Well, Ed, we wish you all the best for the uh, coming season and obviously for the English Amateur Championship and the 125th anniversary celebrations at Broadston in 2023. Um, Thanks so much for joining us. It's been great to hear from you on NCG Top 100's podcast. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Dan. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks, Ed. And you can view all of our ranking lists by clicking on to our website, nationalclubgolfer.com, and heading over to the NCG Top 100s banner. Thanks for joining us on NCG Top 100s podcast. We look forward to seeing you again soon.